Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. All right, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you once again for these words. Um, words of uh, encouragement, words that remind us that uh, as we are in a battle, that we do not fight empty-handed. And so, Lord, today I pray that your Spirit would guide and lead us to see once again how you equip us and you give us an identity. May your Spirit guide and lead us to see that more clearly today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, <laughs> here's, a, here's a picture um, from uh, when Gretchen and I first met. Uh, I won't tell you how old this picture is. Uh, I don't know why it's peeling like that. It just happens to be doing that. But it's uh, in... In our house, and when I look at this picture, uh, it reminds me of the first time that we met. Uh, if you do not know who the lady is on the right, that is my beautiful wife, Gretchen, and uh, we met here in Chicago. We were actually, uh, it was a Thursday night, and uh, we met at a bar <laughs> on Madison Street called, uh, what used to be called Zambonis, is now Angelo O'Leary's. Uh, don't, don't tell me if you've been there before, all right? But I was there on a Thursday night evangelizing, and Gretchen was there. Uh, Gretchen was there. Well, what happened was I was playing, uh, I was there with a friend, and uh, she, we did not know each other, and uh, but she knew the guy that I was with because they had worked at a camp together. And so Gretchen came over and uh, said hello to him, and then it just happened. <laughs> we met each other, and uh, it was just perfect. There were many things that were really good about this situation. I mean, one, I, I think that she is beautiful. I didn't say was, is absolutely beautiful. And we started talking to one another and uh, came to learn that she knew some things about sports, which if you know me, that was like just deep into my heart. I was like, this is beautiful. This is working out really well. And, uh, and if Gretchen were telling this story, she would also tell you this fact that as the night went on, um, we kind of got to this weird moment of where we had found out that we were both single. So this was great. <laughs> Things were good. And, uh, and at that moment, I decided to share with her my cell phone number. These were the things that you did back in the day. And Gretchen looked at me and said, you're kidding, right? I will give you my number. And you will call me. I will not call you. I was like, all right, I like this girl. <laughs> Also went on to, uh, as we were leaving that night, or as she was leaving, uh, kind of a funny side note here, we were reminiscing on this. I was supposed to pick up a friend from O'Hare that night, and I was like, dude, Phil, you got to find a way to get home because I'm not leaving. 
here tonight, all right? The blue line, it'll take you all the way around Chicago. <laughs> and, uh, and Gretchen uh, was leaving to go to her car, and, and I was like trying to be a gentleman, and was like, hey, babe, I'll, or I'd say that. <laughs> I was like, I said, Gretchen, I'll, I will, uh, I'd love to walk you to your car. You know, as a man, I wanted to make sure that she was going to be safe. And she looked at me and she goes, I don't know who you are and you ain't going to walk me to my car. <laughs> and so uh, that night, came home. Uh, my buddy Phil was a little upset with me. He got over it eventually. And uh, I was in the dorms over at Concordia, 3rd David, and uh, I was just on a high. It was beautiful. I came back and I said, guys, I have met the girl of my dreams. Just saying that this, this was perfect. It was, everything was right. It just felt like a righteous relationship. We had similar interests. We were attracted to one another and we were both single. This is a beautiful thing. Everything is fitting exactly how it's supposed to be. And isn't it true for us as human beings that this is what we do with things that we love, right? We see how does it fit? We love things that will love us back. We love things that seem to just fit and, and be perfect. And what we do as human beings is we have this cost-benefit analysis, we start asking questions like, okay, yeah, I, I know this person, but is, is the pain really worth the end result? Or, or we say things like continuing a friendship with this person, even though we disagree on this point, is it really worth continuing the friendship because we disagree on this thing? Or in relationships, we, we hold on to pieces or things that have been done in the past, and so we ask the question, is the past worth carrying into the future, or we say, well, I know where they're heading, and I don't want to go where they're going. See, we as human beings do this all the time. We call these things conditional relationships. We start to make this analysis, is it worth it to go through these very things? This is just part of who we are as human beings, but here's where I think it becomes dangerous. It becomes really dangerous for us as humans when we all of a sudden impose that mindset on our God and how he works in this world. Because if you think that God declares you righteous because you're attractive and look good and have similar interests, I have news for you. And if you think that God declares you righteous or couldn't declare you righteous because of the things that you have done or the past that you have, I also have really good news for you today. Because ultimately God wants to protect our hearts and give us a new identity. And to do that, I want us to continue in this series called Strong in the Lord, where we have been just leaning in on this passage from Ephesians 6. These words that Paul talks about at the end of his letter to the church in Ephesus. He, he says that you are going to be in this battle, not against flesh and blood only, 
but that the evil, the, the evil one that wants to take you out and remove you from the God that loves you so much. Paul would say this, these words in verses 13 and 14, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. This week, we're going to focus on this breastplate of righteousness that that God wants us to be equipped with. And next week, we'll actually finish this series looking at the belt of truth. But, But what is this breastplate? Well, this is actually what it may have looked like for a Roman soldier during their time. I mean, this thing is heavy. My kids were placing or putting this on earlier this week, and they couldn't walk with it. You can try to put it on later if you'd like. But, but this breastplate was something that Roman soldiers would wear. It's pretty simple. And, and, and why, we, why they would wear it is because it protects the vital organs, right? I mean, you would place this on your shoulders as, as a protection point so that when the enemy would come and throw things or, or, or attack, that you could deflect it off because of the armor that you have. Very similar for us today would be like wearing Kevlar, a bulletproof vest. I mean, you hold, you put this on because you're protecting your heart, protecting what, what if it becomes damaged, will take you out. And what Paul is saying here is that I want you, or you need to, e- equip yourself with the breastplate of righteousness. He's not just literally talking about this piece of armor. He's saying we need to understand this righteousness that that God gives. Righteousness is, is a right relationship. To be justified, to be declared right. And what God wants us to understand is that your righteousness is who you are. It's your identity as a child of God, and Jesus will argue with you about it. Notice here, I'll show you in the scriptures here, there's a story in in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but I want to read from uh, Mark here. When Jesus uh, had his disciples, they went out on a boat in the Sea of Galilee, and when we're talking the Sea of Galilee, uh, don't think something as big as Lake Michigan. It's a little bit or much smaller than that. But, but still what we read in this story is that as they were on this boat, the winds and the waves are coming and attacking. They're coming over the boat. And what we read is that in that moment, the disciples are freaking out. They're like, oh, what is happening? What's going on? But we also get this detail from Mark that Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat, the stern. He's just sleeping there. And so we read in in Mark chapter 4, verse 38, it says this, that they roused him. They woke him up saying, teacher, is it nothing to you that we're going down? Notice this moment here. The winds and the waves, the attacks are coming. And they're like, Jesus, you're asleep. 
Do you not care? And Jesus, in this moment, responds in a really interesting way. He reprimands them. He says to the disciples, why are you such cowards? Don't you have any faith at all? In this moment, Jesus is like, are you kidding me? Notice, notice here that, that Jesus doesn't say, well, you just need a little bit more faith and then you'll be able to overcome the winds and the waves. No, what he's saying in this moment is where is your faith? Where is it? Because what happens often for us is that we'll say things like, God, you can't be good if I'm going through this tough time. Or we'll say stuff like, God can't be good because we're scared, or, or God can't be good if the future is uncertain, or God doesn't care because he hasn't answered my prayer. And in this moment, Jesus looks at the disciples and he says clearly to them, where's your faith? Do you remember? Do you know who I am and ultimately what I have done for you? Martin Luther, um, kind of a famous guy, he once uh, said this in regards to our faith. It's a really profound thing. He says, he says this, that the love of God does not first discover, but creates. You're going to want to write this down. I'm going to explain it here in a second. The love of God does not first discover, but it creates. See, what happens for us as human beings is that man and woman's love searches out for only what it pleases. But God's love is different. The way God works in this world is different. It's not that we search it out to find it, but instead what Luther is saying is it creates something in us. It does something in us. It equips us with something more. And Luther got this from this wonderful quote, write this one down too, from St. Augustine, who said this, in loving me, you made me lovable. Let that sink in for a second. In loving me, God, you have made me lovable. See, it creates, God's love creates something new. It gives a new identity. It gives us a breastplate of righteousness so that when the evil one comes and attacks, when the arrows are being thrown, when the winds and the waves are coming, we are reminded that my identity, who I am, is new and different and can withstand the worst that comes in this world. We only have to look to the cross. 
to be reminded that our God is a God who doesn't just say these things in creating them, but, but brings it into our world by taking on flesh, by living a perfect life, by reminding us that when brokenness is real and relevant, that our God is still with us. And clothing us with righteousness because of his death and resurrection, you and I are given a new identity in the midst of brokenness. He wants us to be reminded of who we are And what this ultimately means is that while our love for others is conditional, God's love for us is unconditional. Something that continually comes and it protects our heart. And by the way, Jesus is fighting for your heart. He is fighting for your heart, as is the evil one. And so may we hear those words again of Jesus. Where is your faith? Bring those sorrows and uncertainties to me. Recently, um, I saw this movie, uh, Birth of a Nation. Has anybody seen this movie before? Uh, Yeah. It's a really interesting movie, and it's a story of, um, based on a, a true story of a man named Nat Turner. Um, and Nat Turner was a slave uh, in our American history in Southampton County, Virginia, in 1809. He was born into slavery, uh, actually became a, a preacher to many slaves uh, around that area. He's a fascinating person to read more about, and you could watch this movie. But uh, today reminded me of a scene from this movie, um, and it's very early on. Uh, Because of uh, Nat being born into slavery, (laughs) the conditions that he was in was not good. And and the movie gives this scene of where his father, uh, late at night, went out uh, to go and get food for Nat. And in the process of doing that, um, some slave uh, owners, uh, police, patrolmen, uh, saw him, and there was this exchange that happened. And in the process of that exchange, uh, one of those slave patrolmen is, is killed, and, and Nat's dad comes back to the slave quarters where Nat is. And there's this powerful scene in the movie where the father looks at his son knowing that these will be the last words that he will speak to his son. And he says this beautiful thing in the movie. He says, Nat, you are a child of God. You got purpose. It's in you. The Lord put it there, and there ain't nothing nobody can do to take it away. Nat, you're a child of God. You got purpose. It's in you. The Lord put it there, and there ain't nothing nobody can do to take it away. 
When I hear these words, in that moment, a father is saying to his son that this is going to come with a lot of struggle and a lot of pain, but I need to remind you who you are. I need to remind you that you're a child of God and ain't nobody or nothing can take it away from you. And Nat's father knew some things about the scriptures because it continued on here in, I love this verse, in Isaiah 54, verse 17. It says, no weapon that's fashioned against you shall succeed, and you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their vindication from me declares the Lord. What we see in the promises of God is it's not that there won't be struggle or pain, but that in the middle of the pain, you're equipped with some breastplate of righteousness that is something that will protect you from all things. This is the good news And it's not conditional. It's not like meeting somebody at the bar on a Thursday night (laughs) where things just seem to be fitting right. It's not like a friendship where we just gel and we can hang out and just talk for endless hours. It's much more beautiful than that. It's a gift that's given by our God that was created by him through Jesus Christ by his death and resurrection and therefore you have a righteousness now that cannot be taken from you. The good news is this, is that it gives us an identity not only for how we look at ourselves but ultimately how we look at those around us as well. That as we go into this world, we are equipped with a breastplate, knowing that there's going to be struggle, knowing that there's going to be pain, but knowing that our God is with us and that our faith drives and motivates us, that the righteousness of God gives us a new way, a new identity in this world. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are one who who works in a powerful way that you create, Lord, when things are broken. And Lord, just allowing that to to sink in for a moment that that you you make me lovable. (laughs) God, that's why we're here today. Not just to be reminded of that, but because we need it. We need that good news today. And so, Lord, uh, I pray that, that your spirit would continue to work in our lives and that we wouldn't just hold that for ourselves, but that we would freely share that good news as you have so done with us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.